but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome to the Body Serve Road Trip Edition. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan is driving. I am sitting in the passenger seat, so I'm gonna be your host for the afternoon. I'm multitasking. I'm doing a lot of things right now. Yeah, right now we're in the middle of nowhere, west of London, Ontario, in between London and Detroit. So anyone in Chatham, hey, holla. I don't know how you found us. This is the first episode that we're hoping will be unedited I know yeah. a bunch of folks have <laughs> said hoping. in the past that they'd love to hear what we would sound like without editing it at all yeah and I'm not sure you really do so you'll get us in our entirety pretty much <laughs> with our flaws or verbal tics or turning signals which I'm using right now mm -hmm. very responsible driving so you're gonna work on your you knows for this I episode am. I am because you don't want to hear what we really sound like, unedited. Which is what? Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so Well, it can be done. We were just on, this is a nice segue, we were just on the Tennis Nerd podcast with Sean Kent. And we did it unedited. We did. And one of our uh, frequent listeners said that we, we talked a lot faster on his podcast. I think because we knew it was live. Um, it was a conversation with somebody we just met and he was sort of feeding us questions yeah also we had just had a, a night out on the town like we went to a comedy show he was kind enough to get us tickets to yuck yucks to see him headline at yuck yucks so thanks sean and we had a few drinks you know it was it was a totally different vibe from what we're normally doing yeah it was fun um so so yeah i think normally i guess what we sound too canadian well you that, know, that's another tick that i'm always editing out so your segues oh, with oh, so oh. Canadians talk so slowly in my opinion and I think I've become one because that's how I talk now as well well the thing that we're noticing with Canadians and how they talk now is how they butcher pronunciations <laughs> well I I think it's similar to how English people pronounce things they just decide how something is to be pronounced and then that's it like you're that's specifically the law. referencing what right now oh well right now what was really irking me the, the other day was Raphael Nadal. Everything, every A is like ah, so pasta is pasta. Um, what it, about Shapovalov? Shop. Oh, see, I don't, I don't really know exactly how it's pronounced, but Canadian commentators say Shapovalov, and it takes about ten seconds to get through the name every single time. Shapovalov. It doesn't quite sound like that. You're it sounds so crazy. It is so grating to the ears. But interestingly, I read that uh, a lot of Canadian or, or speakers of English as a second or third language find Canadian English the easiest to learn because Canadians speak very deliberately and pronounce every syllable and don't sort of elide through words, you know? So when you say Canadian English, you mean learning English from Canadians as opposed to Americans? Because yes. there isn't a huge or, difference or as in opposed the to learning from Australians or British or Irish. Or... So it's a matter of the accent, then. Yeah, and the way that Canadians speak is just quite different than Americans, I think. No, but the way you presented, like, Canadian English is a different language from oh, oh, American no, English. No, definitely not. Okay, so what, what do we want to talk about? I have to host. I have to get used to hosting yeah, because you're you driving. you can't have all these dead spots. Fine, you know, you got to be on top of it. So we were on Tennis Nerd Podcast, which was really fun. Check that out if you haven't already. Uh, Sean is at Sean Kent on Twitter, and the podcast is at Tennis Nerd Pod. We're getting some ambient raindrops now, too. Yeah, I don't know if we can power through this. Um, so we also went to the Rogers Cup in Toronto on Monday because it was a public holiday in Canada, so we both had off work. I had to drag your ass there, Yeah, I just, honestly, so as you know, if you've been listening, we just moved to a new apartment. Um, we've been really busy, obviously. It's not like we're the first people to ever have moved in life. 
so I don't want to make it too big of a deal. But I was looking forward to kind of having a, just a day doing nothing. But I went and I ended up having a good time. We bought both day and night session, session tickets for very cheap. We saw, during the day we saw Ostapenko, we saw Petra, Petra Kvitova. We did. And we saw Miss Venus Williams at night. It was so worth it just to see Venus. And I, throughout the day I was like, okay, I just want to see Venus now, please. Because, the, so the first thing we did, we went to the practice courts. We saw, oh, Petra was the first person we saw on the outermost practice court, like closest to where the spectators can sit. But at that time, Petra was practicing, then beside her was uh, Lauren Davis, and then beside her was Sveta, and then there was Pliskova. But then those four were also playing with some other stars. Right. Because Wozniacki was also on the court. Uh, who else did Radwanska I say? Radwanska was hitting with Pliskova. But I, which Pliskova was it? It was Karolina. Okay. <laughs> this is really embarrassing, and... You tweeted that I'm looking for a new podcast co-host right now because it was so bad. You told me... <coughs> you told me, so which which Pliskova is that? Which one is number one? <laughs> or something like no, that? No, I... Excuse me. I know which one is number one. I just forgot which one was right-handed and which was left-handed. You didn't even know there yes, were... Yes, I know. It's embarrassing. You didn't know that they were differently handed either. You thought they were the same hand. I was just very confused in the moment. It was like a fugue state. Okay. So, Carolina is right-handed. Yes. Correct. Correct. So, that was Carolina out there. World number one. And I think I have a... I just have a problem with spatial reasoning. Because it doesn't always click to me when I'm watching a tennis player to see, like, which hand they're using. It's just not something that I notice right away. I think what had happened was that you've selectively blocked her from your memory because of that US Open run last year. Perhaps. Just not not super interested yet. Now, after we left the practice court, we went to center court because French Open champion Yelena Ostapenko was to play Barbara Lepchenko. And let me tell you, the crowd that was there, granted it was aided by it being a holiday in Canada, mm. but it was a pretty good turnout, probably the best day crowd I've seen in Toronto for a Monday in a long time. Yeah, for opening day of the tournament, people were excited to be there. And they were excited to be there for Ostapenko too at that match. Right, because, because people knew who she was. Uh-huh, and tennis crowds in Toronto aren't always the most with it, but they knew who she was, it seemed. Right. It was noticeable to me that it wasn't... Well, it wasn't really a partisan crowd because I don't think there's a huge Latvian community in Toronto as, as opposed to... If it were uh, a Romanian player, uh, Italian, you know, let's play Ukrainian. a drinking game. How many times James talks about Romanian crowds <laughs> on this podcast? It was just an example. Mm -hmm. So people there for Ostapenko were just there to see the French Open champion, because like me, a lot of people have never seen her in person. She's young. She's new. Um, I don't think a lot of people predicted that she would win a major, especially this early in her career. So people are just starting to catch up with Ostapenko. There's a lot of buzz surrounding her right now. Definitely. And with good reason. Her... Well, I'm, first off, her serve is an almighty mess. Uh, that yeah. is the one thing that has to change about her game, but her ground strokes are straight fire. Mm -hmm. Like, what she's able to do, for me, I know a lot of people talk about her forehand, but the backhand is just crazy what she can do with it. Really? Uh, the first thing I noticed, really, was the power and pace she gets off both wings. There's not really a weak side for her. And she looks so small and slight in person. I just kind of wonder, like, where is that power coming from? <laughs> that she knows how to use her body and her mechanics. The power is coming from all that self-belief, which she has in spades. <laughs> she sure does. And it seems like she's had it for many years. According to all these old interviews are like popping up. And we're getting all these stories now where people are, are giving us anecdotes from Yelena over the years. I mean, she's only 20, but through, I saw something online about her junior days 
about somebody saying that she had that attitude back then, that she should be beating all these scrubs. Right. People who were probably at the time ranked much higher than, than she was. Mm. As she When she was playing like European championships when she was 14 and 15, mm. saying I'm better than basically all but four of these girls. Uh, <laughs> so, and I've seen some of her former opponents say, you know, that girl is a brat, but maybe that's what you need to be a Grand Slam champion. <laughs> maybe it is. You need to have a certain level of imperiousness. Not everybody can be Angie Kerber and a Grand Slam champion. Exactly. So watching Ostapenko, the first set, she just blew through Lepchenko. The guys sitting behind us were like, wow, this Lepchenko girl is not even in the same league. Like, she, there's just no way she can beat this girl. It's just, she's just too good. And they were personal narrators for us. They were yeah, so annoying. It was like people in the movies who narrate every single scene or, or repeat what's happening. But on, on the top screen. of it, it's have you ever witnessed men at sporting events where they just have to let everybody know that they know what's going on? But the thing is, these Even men, on a scale of one to ten, they were trying to out-knowledge each other in the two to three range. <laughs> they knew not a goddamn thing right. about what was going on. But they still were narrating everything to try and show how yeah. much of a man bro they were, right? It's like, I'm positive that when that ball hits the line, that means it's out. I'm pretty sure. It's so... Just shut up and watch the match. It's okay if you don't know everything about everything. Yeah. Hello, truck. There's a truck on our right. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of trucks. We are on a pretty desolate path of the 401. Um... Yeah, so you mentioned her serve. Not the best. Her height is a big disadvantage in that area, but you've got to believe that her second serve could get better. Uh, she was throwing up some just puffball second serves. Well, she was using kick serves on the first and second serve primarily throughout the match. Yes. And on occasion, she would lose track of the ball toss on the second serve, where it would go way, way behind her head. Right. Because, to, I mean, the ball toss is already going behind her head to get it to kick. But I noticed that, like you said, the ball toss was uh, just kind of all over the place, especially in the second and third sets. And she rarely, if ever, caught it. Like, she would hit it regardless. It could be three feet behind her, and she would maneuver herself to hit that serve over the net. And a lot of times it was like 60 miles per hour. She's the type of person that kind of goes in and out of matches sometimes. And part of that, from witnessing it live, is the inability to depend on the serve, right? right. When you are able to blitz an opponent off the ground, that's wonderful. But you have to be able to back it up on serve as well. And that's where she fell apart in the second and third set. Yeah, because once she's in a point, when she's in a rally, it's highly likely that she's going to win it because her ground strokes are just that powerful. But in the second and third sets against Lepchenko, when Lepchenko woke up and started to play her game, it's like if you're on the back foot every time she returns, you're at a huge disadvantage. It's hard to work your way back into offensive mode, and that's where Ostapenko wants to be is, is offense. And when she's playing well, she can do that. That was fun watching Ostapenko. Uh, Petra Kvitova. We haven't seen her since... Mm -hmm. We saw her two years ago playing Azarenka at night at the Rogers Cup. Yes. That was a really a great, great night of tennis. And we brought a friend that night and he got to see some big-time stars. I don't think... If I recall, the match was straight sets. I don't remember who won. It wasn't a great match. But it was still fun to see the two of them right. play each other. Oh, yeah. And we also got to see Radwanska in, like, a gold lame yes. outfit afterward, which that was nice. much maligned outfit. I really enjoyed that. It looked like a, like a youth dance competition costume. It was very sparkly. Yeah. Petra looked good for the most part. She blitzed through the first set, and then we had to go walk the dog mm. before we came back for the night session. <laughs> Which she eventually won, I think it was 6-1-7-6. But she looked damn good in that first set. And I guess in that second set, Carla just played a little bit better. Right. I, in the first set, I was kind of waiting for Carla 
to arrive because I think it, it was at what five love and she still hadn't won a game. Yeah. And I'm like, she wasn't playing that badly. No, I don't think. No, and Carla Suarez is a a former top player. I think she was ranked number six. She's been to Grand Slam semis. Like she's a player. And I got a much better appreciation for her game watching it live. Her game's very attractive. Oh, it really is. And watching her backhand live was impressive. Like she has got some serious strength in that right hand. Like the way that she can create angles and power that one-handed backhand. Like her triceps are popping. We get back for the night session. We're watching Venus Williams. She gets off to a blazing start against Begu, right? Yeah, it looked like it was going to be quick. And then, of course, <laughs> Begu comes back in the second set. And then the rain comes at the start of Ugh. the third. Yeah. Which may have actually been a good thing for Venus. I mean, she did hold to open the third set. And she, the final point they played before the rain delay, Venus got lobbed ran to the back of the court and hit this perfect backhand pass desperately and won the game and it was so exciting and then and let me tell you I've seen that point on TV it's nowhere near as exciting right (laughs) as what it was watching it live and the the angle from where we were watching it is totally different from what you see on TV yeah we were kind of off to the side behind Venus but in person I was like what wait what how did she do that it look, it's like you blinked and, and it just happened. But... 90 minute rain delay. Yeah. And let me tell you, it felt like 90 minutes. They wouldn't let us... I mean, they actually wouldn't let us back on the court even after it stopped raining until they started, like, drying the chairs. I'm like, listen, I I got napkins. I just took, like, 55 napkins. I will dry my own chair. Just let us back you in. always have napkins with you regardless. <laughs> You're like an old lady. I'm just like my mom. With yeah. your medicines always on you and your napkins. Like, do not worry. I am prepared for anything. It's prepared for the end of times. Except poncho. I do not wear ponchos. All right? <laughs> I would much rather get wet. Well, there were people wearing ponchos who never left their seats in the rain. <laughs> yeah, I might be prepared, but I'm not about that life. I'm not going to go sit in the rain. Shout out to that woman who shouted out, Let's go, Serena! <laughs> and then two, two seconds later, she was like, Oh, wait, no, I'm no, Venus. Her, her husband was like, That's Venus. She's <laughs> like, I mean Venus! <laughs> you know, I, I actually liked her because she was on the right side of history she got confused about the name momentarily but she corrected it and she, she was she was with Venus the whole time yeah but she also went back to saying Serena shortly after as well and had to correct herself again okay just like this is a struggle for white people have some understanding for the elderly please <laughs> if she were our age you you could criticize harshly mm. but she was trying she was trying and do you want to get into the Irina? Uh I don't know you said I'm going to go on and on about Romanian fans. I'm, this is your moment to talk about it. <laughs> so Venus won the first set easily. Irina Camelia Begu, her opponent, started stepping it up in the second. Venus started hitting tons of errors. Just a lot of the balls weren't even getting over the net. Serves were going into the net. She double faulted, I think, 10 times yes. in the match. And it started to look pretty shaky. And I was even thinking... Is there something physically wrong? Because she didn't seem like she was getting a lot of power, especially on her serve. Like, she wasn't pushing off What does serve. this have to do with the editing now? Oh, I'm just setting the scene. Okay. So, all of a sudden, Irina starts playing well, and her fans, like, just apparate. I swear they weren't there in the first set. All of a sudden, all you hear around the stadium is, Aide Irina. And, fine, fine, fine. Support your player. But it was every single point. There was a lot of clapping and cheering for Venus's errors and double faults, which I don't like. Errors are one thing because a lot of the errors are forced. You know, they're just part yeah. of part of the point. They just come up organically. But double faults, it's not cute. And I know that people who are not typical tennis fans maybe don't know the etiquette around, you know, what you're supposed to cheer about and what you're not. And I know a lot of tennis fans don't even believe we should be so strict and authoritarian about how you cheer at tennis. And I hear you. Toronto's always going to be a different kind of locale for tennis. 
because it's such a huge immigrant community mm-hmm. that no matter who your favor is or who you're standing at any given moment, there's an opponent who's gonna have people cheering and being kind of raucous right. without necessarily the tennis knowledge of the etiquette. Yeah, so a lot of people come out because they find out a Romanian person is playing, there's an Indian player, you know, a player from my country is playing tennis. So I'm gonna go watch. And that's great, and I'm glad that people do that. It's an amazing city to live in. It can be a little annoying at tennis, to be honest. <laughs> and it's not just, you know, this... I don't want this to sound xenophobic, but the tennis community in Toronto, white people included, probably especially, is uh, it's just not as knowledgeable as other tournaments that I've been to. Okay. Right? <laughs> Yeah, what really bugged me was volunteers cheering for their players and cheering loudly and applauding the other players' double faults. I really, I did not like that. It's not a good look for the tournament, and I don't think the tournament should have to tell its volunteers not to do that. It should be common sense Were to me. these people who were acti- actively on duty or people who were these able were to watch the were match? These people actively on duty, who were also talking loudly through points to whoever would listen. So, I mean, if you can't, you know, keep order... I thought you were going to say, if you can't love yourself, (laughs) how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? But if you can't follow the rules yourself, like, how do you expect those people in the corporate boxes to shut up? A lot of these volunteers in Toronto are retirees. They're putting in a full 40-hour week to get to be able to watch a couple matches. Yeah, So. I'm less offended by them. I, to be honest, I didn't even notice that it was them. I'm just taking your word for it. Oh, all right. I was more put off and turned off by the the couple dressed up as clowns, short, like to the <laughs> left of us, yeah. and also the two bro dudes behind us narrating at two to three, yeah, out to ten level the whole time. I just have come to expect really poor behavior in Toronto when I go to tennis so I expect people to be talking through the entire match it's just I expect to be annoyed so it's it's fine mm-hmm. it's fine let's move on <laughs> the rest of the Rogers Cup resurgence of Sloane Stevens just last week I think it was in DC she was saying well you know I guess I'm gonna win a match eventually and look she's in the semi-final right now as we speak right she's having so, taken out Petra Kvitova and Kerber mm-hmm and then uh, Sofashiba last night. Yes. And now she's going to be playing uh, Caroline, Caroline Wozniacki. Yep. And Wozniacki took out her friend Radwanska. Radwanska, who took out Coco in their first match. Right. Uh, pretty easily. Pretty easily, to, yeah. And Radwanska had been playing so well. So to see her go out so meekly to Caroline, I think like one and two, was surprising. But Caroline has a lot of wins against Aga, a ton in their rivalry. Wozniacki is one of the top hardcore players in women's tennis. So, oh no doubt, this is just this is what we should expect mm. from her. I'm, I think a lot of people are waiting for her to win a title this year, and she says, you know what? I've been to a bunch of finals. I'm really happy with that. The title's gonna come, whatever, whatever. And if it comes at the U.S. Open, <laughs> like she'll take it. But I would say right now the more realistic goal is to win Rogers Cup this weekend. Because right now I think she has uh, a clearer path than than it looked like yesterday. Well, she's still got to beat Simona Halep, who seems to love playing in Canada. That's true. Simona has won here before. Uh, Sloan, I mean, don't discount Sloan in the semi today. With, I mean, the semi will probably be decided by the time this episode is out, but Sloan won her first match since 2016 this week and then just kept winning and her performance against Kerber was fearsome look she's up to already provisionally 150 something in the world based on making the semi-final yeah if she makes the final she'll be on the cusp of the top 100 and then if she wins the tournament she'll be in the top 70 wow which would be a jump of like maybe 900 spots in one week. <laughs> I, if that doesn't happen, I hope the wild cards keep coming for Sloan. I want to see her playing week in and week out because 
at the okay as a Serena fan this is complicated as you know because there was there's been some weirdness between the two for years but it's been so long now for me it's water under the bridge it seems like they've gotten over it so what's, yeah what's yeah the yeah issue? exactly so I have no qualms rooting for Sloan I am willing to say that I'm a Sloan Stevens fan now. You're a Sloan Ranger. Is that is that what they're called? Yes, that's or what they're called. Or is that what Brad Gilbert calls I her? I don't know. <laughs> she hits with so much power, and it's a cliche to call it easy power, but it looks very fluid. It doesn't look like she's exerting too hard. Like it looks sustainable. You know, she's a great athlete. I just like to see her out there, and I like her personality because she really says whatever the hell she wants and sometimes that's weird or awkward but <laughs> you know that's that's Sloan. I'm doing your job here keeping us in line like we need to move on to the men now. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, who cares about the men? <laughs> Nadal lost to Shapovalov. Shapovalov. He's a, all the way into the semi-finals now. Talk about taking your opportunity seizing your moment. Yeah, yeah. Your one moment in time. 18-year-old Denis Shapovalov beats Nadal in the third round. Nadal, who was two match wins away from regaining world number one. Uh, and then that was after he had beaten Del Potro in his first match. Mm. So he goes Del Potro Nadal in back-to-back matches, makes it all the way to the semifinals. Yeah, you think Del Potro finally has a first-round match that he can win, and he gets Shapovalov on a roll. Because next week he has to go back to playing Burdich in the first round. Uh-huh. But man, Dennis tells a story after he beats Nadal that he woke... And this is probably my favorite story from the whole week, men and women, that he's staying in Felix's basement in Montreal. <laughs> That's where he spent the night. And he woke up with a, a poster of Nadal on the wall. Right. And he was like, Felix, man, can you take that down? I got to play the dude today. <laughs> like, just for one day, can yeah. you take that down, please? <laughs> And that picture surfaced, of course, of uh, Dennis meeting Nadal on court. And the video, uh, did you watch the Lopez video? In 2008, right? There was a video of the, the pre-match coin toss thing picture at the net. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not see it. It's like a mini Dennis as he is now. He's he got looks, the same yeah, length hair. Same haircut. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. Yeah. So, I did watch that match kind of in and out. I was... The first set was like, okay, this is going to be done fairly easily. I think Nadal will break once in the second set and it'll be over. And it did not go like that at all. I Dare I say, we might get cancelled for this, but there was a little bit of pushing involved. By Nadal? Yeah. Nadal hit five forehand winners in the entire match. I want to know what's going on there. Whatever it is that's going on, he did not play even 75% of his best. It was not a good showing by him. I just hope it's not something injury-related. Could it just be a a bad day at the office? It could be. Uh, He didn't play aggressively enough. I think that will be a big takeaway for him. I think he knows that. There were just too many balls landed too short. And how does this little kid, this wiry 18-year-old kid, hit him off the court? Yeah, like that should not be happening on on any surface. I was really surprised by how big Dennis's game is. Like, Mm. I knew he had the effective lefty serve. We'd seen him beat Kyrgios last year in Toronto. Right. It wasn't his first big win. But last year it was like, well, Kyrgios barely showed up in time to actually play that match. Right. Didn't do any practicing. I remember being on the grounds on the Monday and people were wondering, is Nick even here? Is he going to be playing tonight? And then it was like, okay, Nick's here. And then we're like, well, Dennis really has a good shot tonight because Nick doesn't seem to be taking this very seriously. Right. And so you wonder if that win last year was actually less impressive than it really was. Him taking out Nick in the, in the, I think it was a third set as well. But then he follows it up this year. He's ready. Like, this is his time, apparently. And people are saying that Felix Auger-Aliassim is even better. <laughs> which is scary is like wow Canada come through if uh, if this really is the next generation of men's tennis Canada is well positioned did you see that cop hiding in the bushes oh yeah yeah OPP Ontario Provincial Police why did he pull out 
No. We weren't speeding. Don't but worry. But it's it's right at the where the speed limit changes. Yeah, that's from a hundred to eighty. That is so rude. Kilometers, mind you. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. And it's kind of a bummer because normally we have a drink or a cocktail with the podcast, but obviously you know you can't drink in the car, <laughs> so we're we're abstaining, teetotaling. What's next? Well, so Nadal missed his chance at number one this week. Regardless of what Federer does, which it's entirely likely at this point that he's going to win Rogers Cup. Well, uh, he, say for example, he has he to does, get through Zverev. Okay, say for example, he does. He's going to be maybe 50 points behind Nadal in the rankings. Then come next week in Cincinnati, Murray's losing his finals points. And so there will be a new number one after Cincinnati. Right. It's just a matter of who is it going to be. Roger or Rafa? Well, if Roger wins both... It's him. It's pretty... I would say number one is pretty unattainable for the rest of the season, don't you think? For Nadal? For... yeah. No. I think one of the caveats for that is how much is Roger really going to play the rest of the season after the U.S. Open? Is he really going to go to China? No, but he's going to play like the Swiss indoors... Okay, that's, that's a five hundred. Right? He'll he'll probably play the Masters in China, Shanghai. Yeah, my uh, point is Paris indoors. My point is Nadal will have nothing to defend after, pretty much after the US. I think he he shut it down after Shanghai last year. He oh, doesn't. I don't. Ha- I don't he doesn't remember. have a lot of points, and I th- I believe his schedule will be heavier than Rogers the rest of the year. Okay, that's my point. But it is typically a slower time for Rafa. And Federer, if Djokovic and Murray are not up to snuff, he's pretty unbeatable at the World Tour Finals. So we'll see. But is it is it going to be Rafa and Roger for the rest of the year, for the rest of the season? Is this the story? Or do you think that someone else will insinuate himself into the top? Zverev like, has been Zverev, insinuating himself all year. Yeah. So he won, he won his first Masters title at Rome. He won Washington, D.C. last week. He beat Anderson. This kid is riding high on confidence, and he's in the semis again in Montreal. And he wants the big spotlight. Ben Rothenberg wrote something for the latest Racket Mag where we get this background of Zverev as somebody who always wants to play on the big courts to the point where he's begging tournament directors to put him on the show courts. Right. Which some might call desperate, but it's <laughs> it's it's indicative of how highly he thinks of himself and how much he believes in himself mm. that he should be in the in those moments. This is why I called Zerva Diva on Twitter and some people came after me and were really prickly about it. And I didn't necessarily mean that in a rude way or a critical way. The kid is arrogant and he's confident and he's a diva and he wants to be on the big stages and he expects uh he's a show pony he does yeah so i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for tennis i think if you want to win majors and you want to be a superstar you have to have a a degree of that i'm not sure that nadal does but he's just different but nadal is so arrogant and ungracious in defeat, <laughs> yeah, you... which is something I've been hearing from non-tennis followers recently. Mm. It's you mentioned that it's hard for us to to put ourselves out outside of our perspective because we're such big Nadal fans. Because the way that I see him is that he's remarkably modest for a 14-time Grand Slam 15 winner. 15 times. 15. Oh my God, 15. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that. Uh, La Decima. He uh, He's very gentle with ball kids, volunteers. He's generous with his time. Even when he loses, he signs autographs when he loses. Uh, he's complimentary to his opponents okay, when he yeah, loses. Yeah, we get it. Like, our people who listen to us know. Right. <laughs> but So to me, it's, it's hard for me when people say, oh, he's so cocky and ungracious. I don't understand where that comes from. No, it's totally foreign to me. Like, uh, okay, fine, Dennis beats him. What is he supposed to do? I, I, don't, yeah, know, I, I don't understand. Like, take him out to dinner? I, <laughs> I don't know. 
Uh, I get not liking Nadal for maybe his weird tics, or you don't like uh, like the come-ons or the fist pumps, stuff like that. My point in, in posing this question is, is this something that, that's genuinely out there, A, that quite a few people think, mm. or B, that has merit that we're just not seeing? You know, so let us yeah. know. If somebody who's not a Rafa fan could could weigh in here, let us know. What else is going on? We well, we haven't uh, recorded a podcast. We're driving over like a dirt road right now. Okay, uh, you know this construction here has been going on for like the past two years, right? Yes. Okay, <laughs> we're down to one lane. We haven't recorded for about two weeks. A lot has happened. Madison well, we recorded, Keys. just not on our own podcast. Oh, that's true. So Madison Keys is back. She won Stanford. She beat Coco Vandeweghe in the final. Awesome. Yay, America. <laughs> she also beat Garbinia Muguruza in the semifinals. So Madison is, like, here for the U.S. hardcore. Just her third career WTA title. And I think the other two were in grass. They were. Right? You're right. Yeah, yeah. Which is surprising. Madison has been around for so long at this point. You think or you take for granted that she should have had more titles by now. Mm -hmm. But it's her season is finally blossoming because she'd come back. I think her first tournament back was Charleston, I want to say, or shortly before Charleston. You saw her in Charleston, Mm -hmm. right? And she's lost a lot of first round matches and not gone deep into tournaments. And then something just clicked. This is the... This is the part of the season where we're seeing folks just have those clicking moments. Mm-hmm. You know, Shapovalov is having a moment. Uh, Madison kicked it into gear, got it together. Sloan is having a run this week. Shout out to, to Kevin Anderson, who's had a solid, solid year. Yep. And is on the cusp of getting back into the top 30 again. Yeah, Kevin Anderson was the runner-up in D.C. to Alexander Zverev. Um, what else? Makarova won the women's event in D.C. Or Makarova, sorry. <laughs> and she beat Yulia Gurgis, who's been in a bunch of finals. She was in the final in Bucharest uh, the week or two weeks before that. Mm. Man, she is a hard hitter. <laughs> like, Gur- Gurgis is the type of player you watch her when she's unsung and you're like, how is she not better in the rankings? Yeah, because when she puts it together, she's a really impressive player to watch. But it can go off the rails for her. Um, hmm. So what else do you want to talk about today? You tell me. <laughs> well, we got through all our agenda points, actually. That's all of them? Yeah. Well, we're heading to Cincinnati now, obviously, so mm-hmm. we can talk a little bit about the tournament. This is going to be your first time in press. We're both in press. Yes. So we've gone... Uh, this will be our third time there. Third straight year mm-hmm. that we've been. And... I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to it. The food there is really good, which is what I'm looking for in a tennis tournament, a sporting event in general. The food in Toronto, they're they're really trying. They're really trying to make the tournament more fan-friendly, up the experience a little bit. Like, they built that observation deck over the practice courts, which was a great touch. They brought in some food trucks, but they're restricted because the grounds are very small. For a, for a tournament its size, the grounds are pretty small, and it's on a university campus. But that, was a, that was a notification yeah, on I my phone. Yeah, I that is. Um, but Cincinnati has a great big, a great big property. You have to park on the grass, but they're also upgrading. Uh, the The center court and the grandstand are connected, and so you can like walk between them. So now they're upgrading it, so there's like a VIP building attached to where that walkway was, I guess, behind the center court. So we'll see what that looks like in a few years. It's not like we'll be VIP, so I guess we won't see what it looks like. I feel like it will just take away a little bit from the character and the charm of the center court being connected to the stadium court and being able to watch tennis on both uh, courts Mm -hmm. from certain vantage points. Right. There's some really exciting first rounds coming up in Cincinnati, more so on the women's side. So what I'm looking at, the first one that jumped out 
Coco Vandaway and Madison Keys. Well, I made the I made this list. Went through. That was one of the last things I did last night before going to bed. Looking at the draw and just pointing out a few matches that stick out. And I stopped at nine on the woman. I could right. easily have added three more. And I struggled to find three on the men's side, which I think is the story of the the depth of men's tennis. Yeah. Or even just the entertainment value. And that's obviously very subjective. Don't at me. If you <laughs> get your thrills and kicks from men's tennis, more power to you. But for me, the women is where it's at in terms of from start to finish early round action delivering the goods let's be clear these tours go in ebbs and flows yes there are periods we were just in a golden age of men's tennis there are periods when women's tennis is the draw in the late 90s early 2000s venus and serena were selling out you know they were getting better ratings in the u.s than men's matches even with americans so sometimes one sex or one gender's tour is just more exciting and I think at this time in women's tennis especially if Venus is playing that's no, selfish but that, that is, that's really just for the most part our perspective there's still a lot of people who just think men's tennis is a better or more exciting yeah that's, you know, that's the, the exciting part is the subjective part Okay. I, I don't think we should extrapolate it further. If you can find the year 2002 exciting in men's tennis, then good on you. You are a dyed-in-the-wool man. Because that was boring as shit. <laughs> Even if they hit harder. you know. So Coco and Madison is a rematch of the final in Stanford a few weeks ago. I, re- I hope that's going to be on center court in Cincinnati. It's between two Americans, so I'm sure it will be. The real humdinger in the first round, though, is Ostapenko taking on Sharpo. <laughs> that is crazy oh, for a first God. round match. Um, I sue me, but I didn't realize that Maria was back. I didn't realize she was going to be in Cincinnati. You're just not paying attention, apparently. I know I'm not. Apparently what research not. and homework have you done for this this trip? Um, not a lot. <laughs> I'm obviously going to be doing my homework while we're there. Okay. But I don't know what the hell to expect from that match, aside from fireworks. I, I should hope we get a lot of drama and a close match and a lot of really fucking hard-hit shots. Yeah. The good thing about Cincinnati is that it doesn't suffer, the, I don't think, the same number of withdrawals that the Canadian tournaments do, just because it is a lot of players' last chance to warm up before the U.S. Open. So we do get, the draws are so packed because there's so many top players in it, and that's why you get first rounds like this. Sloan and Safajeva are going to play again. They just played in Toronto in the quarters. Sloan won. Um, what else? Cece Bellis and Alizé Cornet. Bellis is having a hell of a season. A summer season especially. Venus and Allison Risk. Um, Caroline Garcia, who is uh, what was a quarterfinalist in Toronto. She's made a Vesnina. bunch of quarterfinals this year. My breakout pick for 2017, she hasn't quite busted out, but she's definitely playing better. Yeah. And now that Kiki has kind of uh, plateaued, should we say... <laughs> after her strong start to the season. Maybe it's Caroline who will race through to the end of the year. Possibly. I, I'm wondering how much that early part of the season has affected the rest of her season because she's probably not used to playing that much because she won a lot more than she's used to. She's had this back issue, and I really don't think... Something is obviously sticking with her. She's not really withdrawing from tournaments or retiring, but you can tell she's not 100%. She got beat, she got blitzed by Streets of a in Toronto. The match was over even before we could get to the grounds that day. It was the first match on. Um, for the men, Goffin and Kyrgios, Del Potro and Burdich, and then there's Diego Schwartzman and Karen Hatchinoff. Man, Diego Schwartzman had himself a tournament in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Got to the quarterfinals. 
Um, who did he beat? Oh, Dominic Keen, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. This, these are the types of questions that you don't ask on a quote-unquote <laughs> live podcast. Right. Because we're just set, you're setting us up to look like idiots. Yeah. Well, I just, I just can't remember. I think you were right. I think it yeah. was Dominic Team. It was. So, Dami will actually be the third seed in Cincinnati. So, hopefully avoids any of these big players early on. Because I want to see him the whole week. Maybe we can, you know, go out for ice cream or something. Oh, my God. How do, you I have mean, to be professional this week, James. How do you think he keeps it extra thick? Ice cream, obviously. I'm not <laughs> indulging you in this right now. No, there will be none of that when we're actually on site as media. It'll be strictly professional. I can't make those jokes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the end of our agenda. Is there anything else you want to talk about? How long have we gone so far? 45 minutes. This will be like a, one of our shortest episodes in a long time. Yeah, that's probably a good time. thing. I think we should stay under an hour. Well, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to, do, to, looking forward to doing mm-hmm. while you're in Cincinnati? Um, well, so I've never really been like a reporter or a journalist. I've studied this stuff in school and, and decided to go another path in my life. As you did, but you now you're kind of back. So I'm uh, I'm excited to do my research, write my questions, and see if I can actually cut it with all these actual professional reporters, whom I respect very much. And as you will see, some not so professional reporters. Okay, fair, <laughs> fine. Um, obviously, talking to players and hearing their insights is going to be very exciting because. I was first and foremost a fan, and now I'm here in more of a, a professional capacity. But just being able to talk to players is going to be super cool, and will be a, a bit of a hurdle for me just to get over, just to get over the, the nerves. Um, but I don't know, like I feel like this summer has flown by. I'm just excited to be outside, to watch tennis, get to some chill. Sun. Exactly. What about you? What are your, what are your goals? Well, James, I'm just so thrilled and excited to have you in the press room. Oh, is, that what I was, is that what I was supposed to say? And to be able to share this experience with you. <laughs> Can you tell, like, no. I'm, I'm the Serena? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm exaggerating there. Mm. But my point is, I am actually looking forward to seeing you go through the process. Uh-huh. Because I've done it twice. And now you get to know and see what it's like. Right. Well, and obviously I'm going to depend on you for a lot because you've done it before. Will you? <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe I'll just take an unnatural aptitude to it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to be getting your feet wet right away. It yeah. all happens real yeah, yeah. quick at the start of the tournament. So we'll watch some qualifying tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. But the qualifying draw is still going on tomorrow. Um, press availabilities... And little mini press conferences are on Monday, yeah, which is the opening day, and then the seeds will start on Tuesday, right? I believe Mainly? so. All right. So I mean, what, I know. But what are some of the stuff that folks can look forward to from us as far as our coverage goes? Oh well, I'm not really sure. I I know that you and I both plan on doing more writing. Yes. I've actually never been published on your site. Because I mean, I've never, not because you haven't asked, I've but asked several because times. I, I just haven't done any writing for the site. So expect to see my byline if you follow thebodyserve.com. We're going to have to ha- actually have bylines because it was just assumed that it was me writing right. it before. Right. So more writing and also a few podcasts. I don't, we haven't planned out exactly how many we'd like to do, but we do plan on sitting down with some players, seeing who will talk to us. Uh, it's interesting to me uh, who, you know, when you put in to say, hey, Mariana Lucic Baroni, we want to interview you. We're a podcast you've never heard of. It's, uh, it's exciting to me that she said yes, or that any player looks at what we are and is like, yeah, okay, I'll sit down with you and talk. I'll give you 15 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's cool because they don't know what they're getting into at all. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing who will talk to us <laughs> you know <laughs> hopefully we'll do some one-on-ones with both of us there with the player right that would Have be new be, uh, a more of a conversation yeah 
rather than just a, a one-on-one. On that note, look out for the body surf coverage in three spaces, really. TheBodySurf.com, where you'll find all the writing stuff. Throughout the week, we'll be publishing stuff there. And you can also find the podcast from TheBodySurf.com as That's well. That's true. But you can also, if you've subscribed already, you get, it, you get it through iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. Mm. If you don't already, subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> just Really, at this point, just Google The Body Surf Tennis Podcast and it's everywhere, mm. which is nice. And Instagram, you'll be able to catch some snaps. Well, I guess that's a, a mixed message right yeah, there because we we're not Snapchatting. Some grams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't Snapchat, sorry. I, I still don't really understand how to use it. <laughs> it's the one app that really makes me feel so old. Because I just don't... I don't get how to use it. Oh, speaking of feeling old, I was at the mall yesterday trying to... I thought you were going to say that uh, also wish Jonathan happy birthday next week. Oh, that would be so rude. A week so, from today. So uncharacteristic of me. A week from today me. is my birthday. It is. Happy birthday. But I wasn't calling you old. I was saying mm. I was at the mall yesterday shopping for clothes for here... And I walked in a few stores. I'm like, I am too old for this shit. The music is too loud, and there are too many children in here with their mothers. Well, so, you're <laughs> also a curmudgeon. Let's face it. Like, yeah, I actually, well, I don't, I don't really like shopping. I actually am not looking forward to assuming we're still together. You as a 60 year old. I'm gonna be hilarious. That's, that's gonna be a challenge. I'm gonna be so funny. Well, who has to live with you? Who? <laughs> No, you don't. You don't have to if you don't want to. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up on that note before. Oh yeah, and the third place is Twitter. Yes, so that's right. So you can follow me at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's, and I am at tennis underscore John, and the podcast at the Body Surf. Thanks for listening. Catch up with us when we're in Ohio, when we're in Trump Country. Uh, see you soon. Till next time.